This is Pastor Matthew Castro at Central Church. I'm the adult ministries pastor, and you are listening to Attributes of God with Dr. Jim Ullman. I'm going to push the button. Here it goes now. Uh, So we're recording. So uh, thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need to know you. Um, We have a relationship with you, but we don't always, we never understand you. But there are times when you puzzle us quite a bit. We need to have the, the facts that you've revealed about yourself in our background so that we can always rely on your character when we cannot understand what, what you're doing in our lives. So, Father, give us the privilege of coming to know you better. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about the mercy of God tonight and possibly one other category of uh, God's character this evening. I'm not sure how much time it'll take, but we'll go with this. Um, the, the terms for mercy in the Bible in the Old Testament, there's one word that occurs over and over again. It's here, rachamim, uh, we simply translate it mercy. The interesting thing is um, abstract nouns in Hebrew are often derived from concrete nouns. So the, the root from which this word comes is the word rechem, which means womb. So uh, rechem or, or rechemim, mercy, is a mother's love and care and concern for her child. Do you follow this? Yes, no? Yes. All right. Uh, so uh, God is moved to act for his people because he is a God of mercy. Uh, and then in uh, another word, hamal, which means to show compassion. In the New Testament, the words are oiktirmoi, that's not even spelled right, oiktirmos um, and oiktirmon. There should be a K here. But yeah, well, yeah, I knew you, you saw it, and I wanted to not acknowledge that I missed, mistyped. Yeah, I know. You didn't want to embarrass me. You're saving my, my, uh, my feelings, and I do appreciate it. I, 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 I benefit from that deeply. Uh, Hamal is used 39 times. Uh, The basic meaning of the word seems to be to spare or refrain from. So when when God does this, he refrains from doing something that people would deserve, for example. Uh, In many contexts, the sense of the verb is pity, have compassion. So in Exodus 2.6, we are told that Pharaoh's daughter took pity on the baby. This is Moses in the in the, in the river, took pity on the baby that was crying in the basket. The meaning spare is still in the background. She spared the child from being uh, killed by Pharaoh's agents. Uh, so um, this uh, word to spare is used. This Once again, this uh, abbreviation is the new international dictionary of Old Testament theology and exegesis. Okay, if you're really serious as a Bible student, you might want to invest in that. There is, a, we call it Nidati, because who wants to say New International Dictionary of Old Testament Theology and Exegesis three times fast? So, so, but if you're, if you're serious and you're looking for more help on Hebrew, this would be a good resource. There is a companion set. New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology and Exegesis 
We call it mid-nitty. Uh, they're not cheap, so you got to be serious. <laughs> mid-nitty, New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology and Exegesis. Yeah, uh, but these are these are written by evangelicals, uh, so you can you have a lot of encourage, encouraging material there in the sense that you're not going to be running into people who say, "Well, this is this is there are other things going on here." So you can you still have to evaluate any commentary you read in a dictionary, brothers and sisters. It's just a dictionary in an unusual form. I'm sorry, a dictionary is just a commentary in an unusual form. Are you with me? Uh, do you know how they do you know how they make dictionaries? Give me some indication. Do you know how they make dictionaries? Um, if you ever get it, what, what is the name of that movie with um, oh the guy who is persona non grata in in uh, He's Catholic, did the Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Mel, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson was in a movie, and I can't recall, the, the Madman and the Scholar or the Madman and the Librarian. It's about the origin of the Oxford English Dictionary. How did they put it together? And Mel Gibson plays one of the lead roles in it. Uh, and it's a good illustration of how they put a dictionary together. They start listening for examples of uses of words, and they make, back then, they wrote them down on index cards and just put them in, in boxes, filed them in boxes. Am I making sense to you? And then when you get the dictionary, you're getting the result of all that. So, so it's, this is how they do it in Hebrew. They will look at all the usage and then suggest senses for the word, but that's a, that's a human suggestion about the sense of the word. The dictionary doesn't prove anything. You still have to legitimate the decision that you make about the meaning of the word. Does it make sense to you? Yes? So now the English dictionary is much more likely to be accurate about English than I am. Yes. And a Hebrew lexicon is much more likely to be accurate about Hebrew than I am. But um, it's still just commentary. And you have read, those of you who read commentaries, you've read things in commentaries, you think, that I just don't buy that a bit. Well, you do that with dictionaries, too. It's okay. Um, Hamal occurs 43 times with the verb accounting for 40 references. One of the places that it occurs is in 2 Samuel 21.7. Let's look there just briefly. Because uh, I can't remember the passage at all. Second Samuel uh, twenty-one seven. Uh, I didn't take time to go upstairs to get a different Bible, so I'm here, somewhat uh, li limited tonight. Uh, so twenty-one seven. Uh, Uh, and the king spared uh, or showed mercy to Mephibosheth, son of, of, of Jonathan. This is the story of David, of course, and, and Mephibosheth. Yes, yes. Uh, wh why would the king spare Mephibosheth? Because 
Well, yeah, because David had a covenant with Saul, with Jonathan, and he had to be faithful to that covenant with Jonathan. So he spares, he shows mercy to uh, Mephibosheth. Uh, so this is a, a, a great passage to see what that word means. Normally, the, mer, the, the term chamal, say chamal, okay, refers to the mercy the Lord withholds from Israel because of sin. So in Isaiah 9.19 and Jeremiah 13.14, uh, God says, I'm not going to spare them anymore. You, you with me here? So the, the word at, it, at its kind of basest level, is, is its basement level, means to spare. And you can spare somebody from disaster or you can spare somebody from relief. Yes. So in, here in these two passages, God is sparing his, Israel uh, from release from judgment. Uh, rarely it's used for God's mercy. For example, in the following Joel 2.18, Malachi 3.17, and 2 Chronicles 36.15, in each of those cases, uh, here's Joel 2.18 in context. Joel 2, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sub solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room. Folks, in Israel, when Israel went to war, anyone who had, who had not been married for at least a year was exempt from battle. But not here. All right? Um, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, and here's our word, Hamal, spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? If God judges Israel, Joel is saying, then the nations will say, all their trust in Yahweh was of no, no account. So Joel 2 um, so here, this, this is the reason for, for God to spare Israel from judgment. Because God's reputation is more important to him than anything else that exists. He will never let his name be misunderstood. His, by name here, I'm meaning not only the name Yahweh, but, but all his reputation. His reputation must be grand in the eyes of the people. And so judging Israel might well lead the nations to, to figure what, what Moses said back on Mount Sinai, because the Lord couldn't take him into the land. He, just, he left them in the wilderness to die. Or, uh, I, I don't see, what is this? I didn't put the full reference in, Joel 2.18. So now here, then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. And here is the verb to, to show mercy. Uh, the Lord answered and said to the people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more take, make you a reproach among the nations. He spares them from his own wrath. 
Would God's wrath have been just or unjust? Just. Just. But in mercy, he spares even sinful, rebellious Israel from his own wrath. Uh, Malachi 3.17. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the name of the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Um, So God at times spares people from judgment that they otherwise would would deserve. 2 Chronicles 36.15, all the officers and uh, of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. I, I haven't... I don't know why this is looking this way. I thought I had clicked the right button. The Lord had compassion on his people in his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the, of, of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. So this is the, uh, let me get this in the right place here. There, there it will be in the right place now. Um, so there comes a time when in Israel's case there is no, no more place for mercy uh, they kept mocking the messengers of God despising his word this is the word hamal it's not used very often with reference to God rachamim is different expressing compassion, love, mercy, pity or even the object of compassion. So he will talk about someone being his mercy. Uh, or second, <laughs> one of the wonderful ones, bowels, inner body. Some uses of number one here may reflect this as the seat of the compassion. I can remember growing up in church, we had the King James, and the pastor from time to time would talk about God's bowels of mercy. And I thought, well, that's an interesting image and it's something really nice to talk about right after dinner, amen? <laughs> but, but once again, Hebrew repurposes old words for new meanings. That's, that's the way they build their, their vocabulary, all right? There's, uh, there's another word, and I can't think of what the word puts in, but in, in mind, and it gives the footnote that you go to to see what it, and it always says kidney. Kidneys, yeah, 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 that's, that's another psychological term. It, it is, folks, when you say I love you with all my heart, does your heart change? Is there anything about going on in your heart that's changed? 
or is it still bumping pretty much the way it did? I love you with my left ventricle. I, left, I love you with my left ventricle, <laughs> Chago says. Uh, has your heart changed? No. No. There is no physiological change, but uh, those of you who are married and for many years, um, do you remember how when you were away from your beloved and you got back, your heart was moving a little faster? Do you remember this? All right. Yesterday. Oh, yesterday. <laughs> Um, for us, the heart is the seat of our, our, our emotions, right? For, for the Hebrew, the heart is where you make your decisions. And it's where the core of your personality is. Your liver is, is where your emotions are. Uh, I'm sorry, not liver, your, your bowels. It's where your emotions are. The, the, liver, the liver is where your glory is, and your kidneys are also part of your thinking process. Explain that to me, will you? But, but, I don't know. Uh, the, the point, though, that I'm making is that uh, the womb... Can, can you think, you mothers... How, when your baby you brought home from the hospital suddenly gets sick, how do you? How did you feel? Your your, your whole body ached. Uh, our daughter, our, our oldest, had ear infections on a regular basis, and you know you just there's nothing we could do. We took her to the doctor. They gave her the shot. They gave. <laughs> there's nothing we could do but walk her all night. Yes. Um, but that, you know, I, I can remember one time she got her finger caught in some can that, that we hadn't opened properly. And we were rushing into the post, uh, the hospital, Darnell Army Hospital at Fort Hood, uh, Texas. And I was speeding and, and the MP pulled me over and I went, got my daughter here, I gotta get her to the hospital. I can't solve this problem. And uh, he still gave me a ticket. <laughs> he had no bowels of compassion for me. So, uh, hence, we have the expression in the KJV, 1 Kings 3.26, Job 3, uh, so here, uh, bowels of compassion. The, these places are places where we have these kinds of things. Uh, so the bowels are the, are the seat of strong emotion, either positive or negative in Hebrew. Uh, the root appears 80 times, most notably 35 times in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Hosea. Remarkably enough, this word only occurs in Psalms eight times. I was not prepared for that. I, I thought it would have appeared in, in Psalms a whole lot more. Um, but uh, uh, so most of our usage is going to be in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Hosea. Almost half of it, 30 times the root appears, meaning womb, and so that's fairly significant. It expresses some kind of parental, primarily maternal, longing for the good of the child. The root, rachan, and its uh, derivatives belong to the realm of grace and hope, expressing someone's willingness to show favor. 
Now, can you tell me what NIDOTI stands for? Yes. New International Dictionary of Old Testament Theology and Exegesis. Okay. I, it's, it's my hope that eventually we'll be able to start a library for the church and the, we would have this kind of thing available to you here. I've, I've talked to the powers that be about it a couple of years ago, and we were, we were talking about it, but nothing ever went with it. I need to go back and revisit that with the powers that be. So, oh, $150. And the powers that be didn't have 150. Well, they, they, no, they weren't. I was talking about starting a library for the church back then. Um, so illustrations of, of the use of this word. Uh, this, is, this is the case where Solomon has the two women before him, and one of the babies has died, and they're trying to, he's trying to work out which one is the actual mother. The woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart, her womb, yearned for her son. In English, we would never say that. But so her heart is the right thing in English to say. But in Hebrew, her, her, her womb yearned for her son. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. So you could tell who the real mother was. Yes. Uh, or Genesis 43, 40. Then Joseph hurried out for his rachamim grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. This is when he saw Benjamin for the first time in 27, 25 years, something like that. So what are we talking about then when we talk about God's mercy and how does the scripture uh, use it? First, it's the opposite of wrath in Deuteronomy 13, 17. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand that the Lord, your, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion. Um, this is talking about the things that Israel might misuse for their own purposes, especially in the, in the, in the uh, conquest of Canaan. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers. So wrath, uh, mercy is the opposite of wrath. Wrath in this case is wrath that's deserved. Yes? Yes? Uh, take take the this, this situation here that's relevant to this passage, that is the occasion of uh, the conquest of Jericho. And Achan took the things that were, that were banned. No, no human may use them. If it's gold or silver, it must be brought to the tabernacle. If it's, if it's something that can be destroyed, it must be burned with fire. But no one is to take any plunder from Jer Jericho. Why not? Because God said Yes, but why? Because it was a, a compromise with other cultures around No, because they're, they're permitted to plunder the other cities in, Jer in, in uh, 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 Canaan. So that wouldn't be the reason. 
That, that would be true in Canaan. It's because it's the first fruit of the conquest of the land. And the first fruit belongs to the Lord. So everything is devoted to the Lord in Jericho, and therefore this would be an example of what Deuteronomy 13, 17 is talking about. And what happened to Achan? Remember what happened? They were defeated. And they came back. And this was after Jericho, of course. This was up at Ion Bethel where they were defeated. And they came back mourning before the Lord. The whole nation suffered. People died in battle because Achan was a thief of the things that belonged only to the Lord and could not be used for any other purpose. You, you see the point here? Israel was not at fault, but, but Achan brought judgment, wrath, on the whole nation. And so he's brought out before the people, singled out, and he has to, he has to confess what he did. So the nation gets mercy because Achan is destroyed. Yes? Second uh, Samuel twenty four fourteen, David's census. Then David said to Gad, "I am in great distress." Uh, do you remember this story? Yes, no. Move your heads. Right. I don't. I don't see anybody saying no here. So, if you if you don't remember the story, do this real real emphatically. So, okay. So I don't get any of that. Um, Gad gives him. Do you, it's not well known that Gad had a first name. Well, we don't know it, but yeah, it was E. All we know is his initial, E. Gad. It was a great guess. Yeah, E. Gad. That was a joke. It's awfully good that you guys are not getting grades for this course. Because you'd fail this course for sure. My, My one rule, the one thing that you can do to surely flunk my course at Dallas Seminary is don't laugh at the jokes. Now, you have to understand the jokes don't have to be funny. I just think they're funny, and therefore I expect laughter. So, uh, so uh, Gad came and gave him three. <laughs> God gave him three options to 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 be uh, chased by his enemies for what was it three years? By be uh, for pestilence. What was the what, what were the three options? Seven years of famine. Seven years of famine. Uh, three years of being chased by his enemies, or. Uh, not, and and, and uh, three days of pestilence. And David's response is, I'm in great distress. How do I make a decision like this? Go cut your own switch. Let, yeah. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me fall, not fall into the hand of men. Even suffering under the just hand of God David recognizes mercy in God. Do you follow this? Because you know, like, like in Job, I mean, God still was in control, and David knows that, but you yeah. know, what are your enemies going to do, Jesus? Uh, first, Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 5 to yeah, that's right. Isaiah 54, 5 to 8, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, 
Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God, for a brief moment I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you in overflowing anger. For a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now let me just make a comment here. Is that only true in the Old Testament for Israel? Or does, does he still have a covenant with Israel? If he has a covenant with Israel, is he going to fulfill it? Why? Because he's a merciful God. Yeah, he's faithful too. But it's, it's because he's God. But in our, in our immediate con, uh, conversation, it's because he's merciful. Uh, Psalm 25, 6 and 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David, I think, is the author of Psalm 25. Um, most of the Psalms in, in the first, uh, where does that end? I've forgotten where the book one ends. Um, first 40-some Psalms uh, are, are Davidic Psalms. But it would be legitimate for God to call up the transgressions or the sins of my youth for David. David didn't have a sacrifice that covered all his sins. Yes? And folks, how do you make a sacrifice for a sin you didn't even know you committed? So it could be possible for an Old Testament saint to face... 30 years later, consequences of, of his sin. Yes? So how did Job offer sacrifices for his kids just in case they sinned? Well, he's acting as a priest. The priest makes a sacrifice every morning and every evening, and it's an, and it's an atoning sacrifice. But that doesn't necessarily mean every last Israelite is going to be um, exempted from any judgment for a sin that he's committed. So David can say to the Lord, Lord, your mercy can mean that you won't remember my, the sins of my youth and my transgressions. In Psalm 40, verses 11 to 13, and a, a psalm of David here, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me for Evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Why would God do that if his sins have overtaken him? Because he's a God of mercy. This is what the mercy of God means for his people. The other word in the New Testament, oiktermos or oiktermon, uh, Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Where are the mercies of God in Romans? 
where do you go to find you see he says I, 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 I beseech you, therefore, what, what do you know about therefores? Yeah, stop and see what it's there for. Find the wherefore of the therefore. But then he says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God in Romans? How about chapters 1 to 11? Everything in chapters 1 to 11 is about the mercies of God that we have received. And if all of that is true, then I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is not talking about crucifying yourself. As one of the older preachers used to say, I, I, I hear this. Um, he, he would say something to this effect. I'm putting it in my language, of course, which is not quite as good as his language would have been. But um, he said, I've heard people talk about crucifying yourself for years. I don't know how you do it. I can see how I could get the nail in my feet. And I can see how I, I'm right-handed, how I could get it in my left hand. I don't know how I'd ever get that right hand tacked down. So how do you go about crucifying yourself? Hmm, no. We're to make our bodies living sacrifices. It's a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. Now, where, what does a living sacrifice look like? It's dying to its own self so that you might... What, 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 what does it look like in Romans? There, there are three passages that follow. In down to chapter 15, verse, what is it, 15, 13, I think it is. First passage, Romans 12, 3 to 8. Ministry and your spiritual gifting. Have you ever thought of spiritual gifting as being sacrificial? Paul does. Uh, that, one of the things that that must imply is that spiritual gifting is costly. It will cost you to get involved in spiritual, in spiritual gifting. If you thought that your spiritual gift was something you were supposed to enjoy, get over that. You're sacrificing yourself. You're not there to enjoy it. You're there for others to enjoy it. Does this make sense to you? 50, uh, Romans uh, 12, 9 to... 13.10, um, love each other without play acting. And part of that is foregoing all acts of vengeance. So at the end of chapter uh, 12, he talks about uh, vengeance belongs to the Lord. And then at the beginning of chapter 13, uh, it's a passage about submission to the, the authorities of the state. Uh, but that's still part of this loving without play acting. See, the, God, has, God has kept vengeance for himself and he's delegated it to the state. God will hold the state accountable. I'm obligated to be submissive to the state. So the state in this case is, is operating according to its gifting from God. It's Caesar, yeah. But, but remember, it's, it's Caesar on the throne in Rome. 
who carries the sword not in vain, as Romans 13 says. Um, so, so two ways of making your body a living sacrifice by ministry and spiritual gifting. Second, mind you, I didn't say ministry in your spiritual gifting. I'm saying ministry in spiritual gifting. Okay. Second, by loving without play acting. And finally, in 14.1 to 15.13, by accepting people who differ with you on, the, on Christian life practices. Uh, should we meet or not? is the case in Romans 14. Uh, but I must accept them as brothers for whom Christ died. This is what Paul says. That's how you make your body a living sacrifice. It's not praying 24 hours a day. It's not fasting. It's serving. Are you, am I making sense to you? Yes. Where there is no service, there is no love, in effect. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. It's not, God's mercy is not there for you to be comforted it's for you to learn how to comfort others and to do it. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. So there is, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, and here's where that word comes up, bowels, affection or mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one in mind. This is, this is the goal of the book of Philippians. It's to foster unity in the church. Have you experienced any comfort of love in your Christian life? Have you experienced any participation with the Spirit? Any affection or mercy, then you must be of the same mind with others who are children of God. Um, I skipped a, a screen here. James 5.11. Behold, we consider those who remain steadfast, um, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Of course, this is you remain steadfast in hardships. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. To Job? And the answer is yes. Folks, how do you know when what you're undergoing is a, is a test to prove to Satan that you will be faithful to God even if you don't get any benefits from him? How do you know when that's the case? And I've said on a hundred times in my life, surely a hundred times, when I get home, I'm going to ask the Lord about that one. What in the world did you do that in my life for? I've gotten a little wiser in recent years, I hope. 
Um, I, I, I think, and I was talking to this, to my friend who's, who's lost two close relatives in just recent months, last week, and uh, um, I said, he, he said, I want to get to be with the Lord. I want to I wanna know what the Lord was doing and all that. And I said, you know, it might be that when we get there, the glory of the Lord will be such. And I got one of those sudden laps, sudden bursts, and something really good came out for a change. <laughs> Perhaps it will just all collapse into the obvious. Um, it will be so... We will be so taken with the glory of God that everything else becomes irrelevant. Yeah. Um, he said, man, I'm going to use that in a sermon soon. <laughs> but... but uh, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. Yeah. Sift all of you as weak. So she says in Luke, uh, Jesus says to Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Peter went some, through some really tough times in those weeks that followed. Yes? Yes. Uh, in that week or so that followed went through some really tough times and wasn't over until Jesus, you know, John 21, yes? Uh, Do you love me, Peter? I'm not sure what the variation in the word love there means. I'm not sure whether it's significant or not. Um, It may be, but, but there's not a fundamental difference as far as I can tell and none of the none of the lexicons suggest that there's a fundamental difference in the words phileo and akapao. So I'm not sure what to do with that passage. But was he upset that Jesus said? Was Peter distressed the third time because God Jesus said phileo, or is he distressed because he said it the third time? I don't know. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yes. What was what was Jesus then exhortation? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. But you know, I heard a sermon that said that he said it three times so that Peter would be released from the guilt of denying him three times. It was in a sermon. Maybe, maybe. Um, I, you know, when you get that kind of stuff, you can make all kinds of connections, and not all of them are valid. And how do you know when they're valid? So, uh, but here, the point, folks, is. God was merciful to Job, though as far as the biblical text is concerned, Job never found out why he was going through those things. God never gave him an answer. And perhaps Jesus was interceding for Job at that point. So the point that I'm making is I may have to, in light of Scripture, change my conception of what God's mercy does for me. Do you follow? I just want him to to bring me into his arms and hug me real tight, and I want to feel his breath on my face, and I want to feel his arms around me. When what he wants me to do is to trust him in the midst of the the worst afflictions I can even imagine. Um, And that's his mercy to me. 
and it will be seen to be mercy when we're home with him. We, we may not have the eyes to be able to appreciate it now. I want to move on to long-suffering. How are we doing on time? Oh, good. We've got plenty of time here. Long-suffering. I may run out of material before we run out of hour. So uh, long-suffering. Uh, the Hebrew phrase is suggestive. In Hebrew, it's long of nostrils. <laughs> but think about it. When somebody's angry, they're, they're often, yes, and, and their nostrils are flaring. So if the nostrils are long, then you know they're not upset. <laughs> so uh, uh, so this, this is the point here. Probably the imagery, again, Hebrew readapts physical terms for uh, psychological and emotional categories. So the fundamental passage on this is in Exodus 34. Here Moses is on Mount Sinai after the golden calf incident uh, that was in Exodus 32. He's interceding with the Lord about Israel. Most of all, though, he wants to know God better. He makes a request of God. Exodus 33, 15 to 18. He said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Um, my, I, when I went into basic training, one of the men at my church told me, don't be on the end of any line. Don't be on the, outs, uh, on the edge of any group. Always be in the middle someplace. Unfortunately, <laughs> my, my last name is A. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, do, do your job, do what you're told, and, and uh, get through. And uh, at the end, the last week of basic training, my drill sergeant had to look at my nameplate to figure out who I was. I thought, I did it. I made it. <laughs> uh, but God knows. Of course God knows Moses by name. He knows everybody by name. Yes? But what if... Uh, a, a, a senator from Tennessee were to call you and, and call you by name. What would that mean to you? If he, unless he's asking for money. Yes, more than likely he's asking for money. But, but if he's not asking for money, I need some guidance on a, an issue. And he's called you because you are somebody that will give him guidance. What would that mean to you? It depends on which party. But I think, aren't both the senators from Tennessee uh, Republicans? So it wouldn't make any difference on that level. Uh, so, but, but God says, look, I've known you. I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. I don't know what he had in mind. I wish I did. But he does show him his glory. Let me show you it. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass by before you and will proclaim before you my name, 
the Lord. And I will be gracious, and here it is, here it comes, folks. I will be gracious uh, to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. What does that mean? Say again. He is sovereign over his mercy. And if you are a recipient of his mercy, it's because he's determined to set his mercy upon you. Exodus 34, 5 to 7, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. There it is, slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. I wish it stopped there, but the glory of God cannot stop there. But he will, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Now the question always comes up when I refer to this passage, what is this judging the, the, father, the iniquity of the fathers? Is this generational guilt? No, it's not generational guilt. Gadzooks, that's magic. I'll let, don't, don't deal in magic. Deal in, in reality. Uh, we were, when I was there in Israel several years ago, we were driving through the East Bank, uh, or the West Bank, and not the East Bank, holy cow. <laughs> we did do that later, but uh, we were going through the West Bank, and there were all kinds of houses there with, uh, they were made out of concrete blocks, and they had rebar sticking out of the top. Some of them were one-story, two-story, three-story. And I said to my guide, what's going on there? Because the Israeli houses are all built with uh, uh, slanted roofs because they came from Europe where it snowed and you had to be able to get snow off. And, of course, it snows so frequently in, in Israel. You know you want a slanted roof to be able to sweep the snow off once in 10 years. But um, he said, oh, he said, that's interesting. He said, when you start a new family, you build a house and you leave the rebar on there uh, so that when your oldest son gets married, you build on the second story and he moves into the second floor. When his son grows up and gets married, you build a third story and they move into the third floor. And if grandma and grandpa are still living, then when the, the third son's son gets married, they build on the fourth floor and then when grandma and grandpa die, they all move down a floor. <laughs> so, folks, this is the point. It's not like our society where my parents lived in Oklahoma City, except for my dad. For the, for the most part, they lived in Oklahoma City all their lives. Uh, they were born in the late 1920s. And my dad moved there in his early uh, childhood. And uh, the family was there all that time. And my only goal was to grow up in Oklahoma City, get a, a teaching job in Oklahoma City, uh, raise my children in Oklahoma City, die in Oklahoma City, be buried in Oklahoma City. Uh, I'm sooner born and sooner bred, and when I'm gone, I'll be sooner dead. And yeah, it hurt last Saturday, if you're asking. But, <laughs> but, 
But um, uh, say again. I'm I'm sooner born and sooner bred, and when I'm gone, I'll be sooner dead. Uh, the but but our society is so different. Many of you have children who live in different states. Yes, some of them scattered across the country. Am I right? Uh, so you don't live together, and you don't have the same influence on your children that you did in Old Testament times and New Testament times. The family always lived together. I got some of you know Vijay uh, from India. Uh, we were at his home, and he was telling me, "Well, Uncle So and So lives here, and my, my cousin lives over there, and Uncle So and So lives there, and my aunt lives over here," um, because the whole family lived in the same street. Uh, the family, the the, nu the the family nuclear family idea is something that's very Western and is dependent upon extreme wealth. Uh, so their families all live together, and family influence would be huge on anybody who is a descendant. Yes, um, when Andrew Spurgeon decided to marry Lori. Uh, Mac, now I can't remember her maiden name. You know Andrew Spurgeon too. Andrew is VJ's brother-in-law. Um, Andrew VJ uh, married Andrew's sister. Uh, when he married Lori, who was from North Mississippi, not exactly an Indian girl. Yes, might be in Choctaw. I don't know, but not the right kind of Indian. Uh, when when he married her, his parents were really distressed over that. It's turned out that she's been a marvelous mate for him and has kept him on the, on, on the straight and narrow sometimes. He wanted to stay in the United States. She said, no, we married on the condition that we would go to missions. And we're going to missions. <laughs> go, go, Larry, Lori, have at it. <laughs> but in, in the kind of society we're talking about where you've got four generations all living together, can you see why the, the judgment would fall on the father's to the third and fourth, and the children to the third and fourth generation, because they're involved in it. It's not that they inherited the tendency from their father, it's that they're involved in it, because how do you go against the father in a patriarchal society? You just don't. So here, God, God is, is going to judge the wicked. His mercy does not extend to everyone. Um, and his long-suffering. Numbers 14, 17, and 18 at Kadesh Barnea. When they're getting, they're supposed to go into the land. Uh, and Moses prays, and now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity on the fathers on, uh, of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Well, what happened at Kadesh Barnea? Well, the nation was not destroyed. Mo God told Moses, get out of my way and I'll make a, make a great nation out of you. Moses appealed, at least in this part of his appeal, he appealed to the character of God. You're slow to anger. God did judge the wicked, not immediately. The, the spies that, that were 
that brought the bad report back died immediately. But, but the uh, generation that, that bought into the spies' bad report took 40 years for them to all, well, 39 years for them to all die off. Yes? But they had to stay in the wilderness for that time, too. They could have gone in and enjoyed the land. Instead, the whole nation suffered for the sins of a few. Yes? So, but God didn't wipe them out. Jeremiah 15, 15. Amid his sufferings. I don't know whether you know this, but Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. He, he suffered a lot. Kashi suffered a lot uh, at the hands of, of his own people. And particularly in Jeremiah 15, 15, an end comes even for God to his forbearance. So remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. Uh, I sat alone because... Your hand was on me, for you had filled me with indignation. Oh, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? God's forbearance to Israel means continued suffering for, uh, for uh, Jeremiah. And so here you can see the, 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 the comfortable part of God's character. But it wasn't comfortable for Jeremiah. <coughs> Sometimes God's forbearance with the sinful means the misery of the righteous. Do you see why I say you've got to get to go know your God? This is why you need to study the Old Testament. I may have mentioned this before. Please forgive me if it's a repetition. But I only know so many things, so <laughs> i got to fill the time. <laughs> I, I was working on uh, notes for uh, the doctrine of God, and especially on the attributes of God. And I was, I was getting a little bit frustrated because all the evidence was coming from the Old Testament, just a very little from the New. Do you notice how little we quote from the New here? Um, and I, I, I made an effort to find it there. But what I found was the attributes that are attributed to God in the Old Testament describe Jesus in the New. And I thought, uh, sudden flash of the obvious. In the Old Testament, we have to figure out who God is. And then a man comes walking down the, the road with all the same attributes. So who is he? He's God. Um, if he walks like a duck and he quacks like a duck, then he's probably a duck. Uh, or he's a freshman in college who's gone nuts. Uh, the, 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 and I, I and I, I settled down. Okay, I can live with this. See, 
God took 15 centuries to teach Israel who he was so that when Jesus came, they should have recognized him because they should have understood he has the same attributes. But they trusted what their eyes could see, not what the reality was behind what they could see. Um, uh, Joel 2, 12 and 13, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping. You know this, you know the book of Joel at all? Even now, uh, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping. So here, all your heart is not talking about anything else, but with your whole being. Bring your whole self into this. Uh, with weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster. Uh, Joel, judgment is the day of the Lord is coming and Joel must know that. He's going to face that, the day of the Lord, in his, in his people's lives. Jonah 4.2 He is long-suffering even when his people don't want him to be. What did Jonah want in Nineveh? He wanted God to crush him. Yes? What did God do? Saved all of them. He sent Jonah to, in a merciful way to witness yeah. him, basically. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. What was his gospel message? No, no. Um, yet 40 days and Nineveh is destroyed. That was his gospel message. It wasn't repent. He didn't call him to repent. The bad news is God gave him repentance. <laughs> and that was just exactly what Jonah didn't want. Say again? He was afraid of that. That's right, yeah. In fact, that's what he says. This is what I said to you when I was in my land. I knew you were going to do this. That's why he ran away. Um, oh, Lord, is this not what I said in my when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting. Do you see how, how often these things show up? Relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And in the, and in the good mercy of God, he didn't let him die until he wrote the book. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is the thing that I don't like about God. He saves people that I don't think he ought to. <laughs> and he doesn't save people that I think he should. And he doesn't strike me dead because I voice it. Bill? Well, let me go back. Yeah. A little bit. We're talking about the attributes of God. Yes. Are coming about in the attributes of God yeah. through Jesus. Yes. You think that the clouding of the attributes of God through laws... Yeah. 
believing in Jesus as the attribute of God. There's there's a, a standard approach to uh, the history of Israel that up to the Babylonian captivity, um, Israel was an idolatrous people, but they gave up idolatry in the Babylonian captivity. Um, so then I wonder, well, okay, then why is Isaiah 56 where it is? But that we'll leave that for another discussion. Um, so when they came back, they never did practice idolatry again. But Jesus seems to see, think that they're not serving God. Doesn't he? Um, so what are they serving? Well, they're, 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 well, in a sense, they're serving themselves, but they would never have acknowledged that. What, what would they have said they were serving? God. Yeah. They're serving the law. Um, their own makeup of God. Well, yeah. Uh, their understanding of who God is as filtered through the rules. So you're good if you keep the right rules. 612 commandments. Uh, and and uh, you must keep all. You don't have to keep all of them. You have to have a general um, disposition to keep them. Uh, but there are some some that are more important. Sabbath and purity laws for the Pharisees were absolutely essential. Um, what I'm suggesting is that they substituted gross idolatry, like we you run into in places like like Sri Lanka and elsewhere, uh, temples with horrid horrid um, gods. You, you know about the the. Uh, uh, what, what is his name? Ganesh. Do you know the name, the, the god Ganesh? He's the elephant. Elef, <laughs> he's the elephant-headed god. Do you know how he got to be an elephant-headed man, person? When he was born, his father didn't like him, so he, he, he cut his head off. His mother went and got an elephant and took the elephant's head and put it on him so he'd live. Ganesh, Ganesh has a festival in, in I forget what part of the year, it, it's probably in the spring. Uh, Ganesh has a festival, it's a, a week-long festival, and there are trucks all over town bringing Ganesh images from little tiny things to massive things, a whole pickup truck carrying just one image made out of clay, and they bring them to people's homes, they paint them up, and they throw a big festival for Ganesh for a week. At the end of the week, they take all of the idols to a, a, a river or a lake, and they dump them in the lake. And I said, well, wouldn't that make Ganesh mad? And he said, well, it, it might, but uh, Ganesh is a bachelor, and if you have daughters in your house, he might molest them. They said that? Yeah. Um, so, so they gave up that grosser kind of idolatry for an idolatry of the law, which is more subtle and more deceptive. Because if I have an idolatry of the law, I can always define the law such that I can keep it. Yeah. That's what Satan did in the garden with Eve. So the the issue for for me is 
that the Babylonian captivity did not deliver Israel from idolatry. They substituted the law, and that's why they couldn't see Jesus. They had no eyes for Jesus because their eyes were always on the law. Jonah 4.2 goes on, O Lord, uh, uh, well, we said that, didn't we? Psalm 86, 14 to 17. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me. Be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant, and save the son of your your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor, uh, that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because of you, Lord, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Uh, This is an important prayer, and we may have to face times like this, whether, as we've said in the last few weeks, I I have a gift of encouragement, so I talk about hard times. Um, early in my ministry, I I received a set of tapes from a pastor in Oklahoma City that had a huge influence on me and my family for three generations. Uh, And it was on the book of James, and he he made a a point. He was um, in a uh, prosperity gospel kind of church before he went to seminary and, and became a real... Bible expositor and so forth, but uh, for him it was essential that we teach people to suffer. Got to learn how to suffer. Um, Happy times pass so quickly, but hard times stay forever. Am I right? Uh, And and all of us, if we live long enough, are going to be facing those long those hard times. So how am I going to survive? Well, praying prayers like Psalm 86. Uh, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Does God do that? Every martyr for the faith will, when 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 we stand before the throne, every martyr for the faith will give testimony that God strengthened them so that they could face what they had to go through. Give strength to your servant. So if he will do it for them, yeah, but I'm not a martyr. No, you don't have to be. You see, God may call you to a different kind of suffering. And he will give you the strength to go through it. Now, you may have to say that to me one of these days. And remind me. And the worst thing you can do to me is, is turn my own words back to me. But, but, That's what they did with Job. They said, but, yeah. you strengthen them in the weak knees? And now look at so me. turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your, hand, of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor. Not for my sake. That those who hate me may may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 14. The Lord is merciful 
and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Uh, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. For he does not deal with us according to our sins, thank God, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, I've flown east and I've flown west, and I've not, not gotten there either time. <laughs> uh, nor, most of the trips that I've taken to India, we flew east. And when we got to India, west was over there and east was over here. Yes? Then I flew around the world one year. Flew to Australia and then to India for ministry. I flew west, but I didn't get there. I was in the east. But there was west on one side and east on the other. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children. Now, you may not have had a compassionate father, but you do now. As a father, oh, I fish feathers. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. This word frame is the noun form of the word used in Genesis 2 for God formed the man out of the, out of the dust of the earth. He knows your dirt. He doesn't expect any more strength than dirt can have. He remembers our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Romans 2.4 Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the, the, the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that, the, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Do you not realize that everything that happens to a lost person is God's kindness that should lead to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 2 Peter 3.9 the Lord is not slow, and this is an odd verse, and we don't have much time to discuss it. We have no time to discuss it, so I won't even deal with it. Let's just stop here. It's 730. Uh, um, it would take too much discussion to explain what's going on in, in 2 Peter 3.9, but 2 Peter 3.9 is not saying that God wants everybody saved. Is God sitting on the throne wringing his hands because there are so many people who won't let him save them? Is that your God? No. Then 2 Peter 3.9 cannot be talking about that. God really wants to save you, but he, you won't let him. <laughs> so what shall we do? We, we shall read 2 Peter 3.9 differently and not impose our human perspective on it. So let's close with prayer. Here is our God once again. Father, you are a great and awesome God and beyond our comprehension. And how you could be so slow to anger. Um, is incomprehensible. 
how, how can you be so merciful to people like us? You give us the sun by day and the moon by night. You give us hours of rest and hours of work. You give us food to eat, place to sleep. You give us family relationships. You give us friends. You give us things that are pleasurable. And yet we, resp- we, we respond with unbelief. Um, Father, you've taught us about your character and we have counted on that but we haven't always understood what you're doing I I trust that tonight maybe we will have moved a little bit in understanding your mercy is sometimes shocking mercy but it's not less mercy for that Uh, Job would not have said you were a merciful person because of the suffering, he would have affirmed that about you. But he wouldn't have seen the suffering that he was going through as mercy from you. But you've given us enough information about his situation, information apparently he never got, that we have to say it was actually an honor for Job that you picked him to be the proof text to show that you're worthy of worship even if you bless for years and then take it all away suddenly. What, great, what, a, what a great man Job was. Uh, Father, we, we don't want that kind of time in our lives, but you know what's necessary for us to be prepared to be in your presence. So do a thorough job and encourage us that even in such times you are merciful and slow to anger. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Attributes of God with Dr. Jim Allman. If you're new to Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com. You can get more information about our ministries and our classes. We hope to see you back.